welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show, and where we discuss the happenings and goings on in the world of rugby league. And once again, I'm joined by my host with the most, a man who this week went to the Belmore Park Car Park drive-by vaccination clinic was given his first jab of AstraZeneca, rang me up and complained about side effects for 24 hours only to find out he was given a placebo. Gee. Hey, Kai, that's probably why I feel sensational. He's, he's glad it's capturing the placebo vaccinations. Can I just say, any all those anti-vaxxers out there, um, the vaccine has done nothing for G's technology or reception or anything like that. It is, if anything, it's worse. So Bill Gates has nothing to do with it, I'm telling you. Otherwise, my 5G reception would be flying by now. I'm good, thanks. I'm okay. Good, good. I'm glad I'm glad you're feeling a bit better after your first jab. Let's start off with the news. It was another big week in the in the world of rugby league. There was only one story that I thought um, really, really did make me laugh this week, but I'll come back to it. The news this week showed that, um, well, I mean, there was, there was a whole massive kerfuffle at the beginning of the week around Parramatta, King Gutho wanting a million dollars, Sam Ayub, his manager supposedly, reportedly, allegedly, whatever you want to call it, walked out of a meeting with Parramatta. Then there was that big debate whether he was worth a million dollars a season. Um, we'll see from the results this week. We got absolutely toweled up by Manly, um, and we weren't. It wasn't even close. We weren't even in the game. I've, I've never been so relieved to miss a game in my life. What do you think? Is Gutho worth a million bucks a season? No, I don't. Some of the players that do play a million dollars. If you look at the way he does play and the way he impacts the game, you can argue that he is worth a million dollars. Well, statistically, I... he statistically he is. In the eye test, he's not because he just doesn't have top-end speed. No. The game's quickened up, and you can see now he's probably more... I said this before, he's becoming more of a 5'8 than a fullback with the way the game's going, unless you restructure the way you play to some degree, right? And, and I think that's partly para, but statistically and his involvement and his influence that he can have on the game, athletically, yeah, maybe not an, on an RTS level, but the impact he has on the game would be just as equivalent. He was paid a million dollars a year. So, and if you're looking at a Joey Manu for a million dollars a year, you know, you can argue he is, or at least 850. You know what I mean? I'm sure he'll take a little bit of a discount. So I do think he's worth elite money. They offered him 750, and that, and that that caused Sam Ayub to walk out. He's been around probably just a little bit of a ploy to say it's nowhere close. But I'd imagine if he got 850, I'd I'd probably sign him if he. You think he's your your key player and he's going to keep him for a few more years and build your team around him? Then yes, he's worth it. Well, I mean, another news that before I get to the interesting stat during the week, and the Will Chambers sledging took a life of its own earlier on in the week. He was dropped because he's been playing like a busted, but um, the whole, it got personal. He said something about Matt Lodge that he shouldn't be playing um, because of his past indiscretions. Matt Lodge is married to, I think it's Sullivan's sister. So it all got, it all got a little bit personal. I kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit old school in that. You kind of say whatever you can get away with, short of racism and sexism and those types of things, to try and get an edge on on the opposition. Am I am I a dinosaur? I think sentiment has shifted, right? So I think you you play football. You've played football with me for a long time. I'm a lippy player. You are. I'm probably not. Um, it's funny, right? I think people can say anything within reason, but I think if it's ultra personal, I draw the line when it's personal. Like in terms of, you know, looks, hair, blah, blah, blah. But when it's personal things like with Matt Lodge and 
say like a criminal past or history. Notwithstanding, notwithstanding, I actually agree with Will Chambers as Sledge. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, I think yeah? I think you're yeah a little bit of a dinosaur. I think its sentiment has shifted where you can kind of sledge a little bit the personal stuff now is totally out but i also think the art of trash talking has been lost in general in that the sledges now are just personal they don't have the same you know i suppose the larry bird type of style where it's like hey i'm gonna get the ball and step you and you watch i'm gonna show you up like that type of stuff they don't really do that i don't think so yeah no i agree the personal stuff, I think, is out of line. I do. I think that's a nice way of saying I'm a dinosaur. It depends which one. You see well, Stegosaurus. I mean, <laughs> they call me the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Tyrannosaurus that's why I'm called T. T. Tyrannosaurus T, okay, yeah. I'm going to get to some funny stories that I saw during the week. But, yeah. Um, the, the Panthers are facing a similar issue to Para. Not as big a uh, impact because it's not their elite, elite, top-level players, but as it is with Para. But the Panthers have Kikau... Dylan Edwards, Api Corusau, and Moses Leota all off contract. Not this year, the end of next year. So from 1st of November, they can start negotiating with other other clubs. Kikau's already been linked to the Saints. And I, I do want to talk about the Saints and the Bulldog salary cap. It looks like a never-ending well. Well, you know what? We're getting mentored by Mick Politakis. Mick <laughs> Let me tell you, you guys have got him covered. Every free agent is being offered lots of money to go to the Dogs. It's, it's, it's jazz hands. Yeah, I believe they're called third-party payments. Sure, sure. And I'm, and I'm raising Appy Coruscant as one of the names that has been linked to the dogs. They've been looking for a hooker forever, which just goes to show how much confidence they've got in uh, Marshall King there. So does Trent Barrett actually coach, or is his, is his strategy just, I'll buy the Panthers? I'm just going to buy the Panthers B team. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. And I'm surprised there's a second roller on the market and he hasn't gone for him yet. So um, the, so what, what do you think of that? If the, if the Panthers lose Api Coruscant, Dylan Edwards, Kikau, Moses Leod, I think they can probably only keep two out of that four. Kikau's going to demand a lot of money in the open market. And Api Coruscant, up until his, um, you know, I would describe him master criminal effort in origin. Fa- fantasy, fantasy games. He was one of the better hookers in the comp. If I'm honest, I think they're repl- most of those are replaceable. I think Kikau is un- not replaceable because he's... You don't usually find guys that size with that much power and that much agility. Can I ask you a question? With who? Who do you replace those players with, given the salary cap? There's there's, there's fullbacks everywhere. I think Dylan Edwards, again, I think he's good. Who? Who's, who's off contract that you could fit in for that money? Okay, a Reese Walsh, for example, right? I know there is it, but he was floating around. Reese Walsh isn't going to come back grade. to Panthers. No, no, but I mean, as an example, right, there's players with that kind of talent in the fullback position that aren't getting a They're run. In the junior, in the reserve grade. I do, but they, yeah. But they haven't played proper footy for two years, and we're going to get to that story as well. Yeah, look, you're right. That, that, could, be, that could hamper them, but I think there's talent. Dylan Edwards, I think, is a good player, but I also think he's a... He's a beneficiary of the Panthers being so dominant that he looks better than he is. Right? I don't disagree with that, but you're not going to get a better. I don't reckon. I don't reckon you're going to get a better hooker for four or five hundred grand. Uh, but better fullback. Probably for four or not. But grand, I, see, yeah? I suppose the way they think about it is what's the drop off. So if you've got Corey Sow, I agree with you. It's very hard to replace because he seems to go from club to club, but then he always seems to have a huge impact whenever he plays. So I think he's one of those players. Looking at his history, T either there's is issues. there another Brayley brother we don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> Probably is. We'll call him Ben. Ben Brayley. Yeah, Ben Brayley's coming in. Ben Brayley. So I think there's players around, like the Brayley brothers. One of them was in reserve grade, right? Anybody could have sort of pinched him. I love it. It's like a fruit market. I think when you start stuffing around with your spine, it gets really hard to replace, a.k.a. the Bulldogs. So I think Dylan Edwards and Api Coruscant. Well, even Moses Leota, like quality 
props are really hard to find. They are, but they've got Spencer Lineu and I think they think they've got players to replace the props. I think you can find props if your scouting is very good. I really do. How come teams haven't been able to find them then? Because I think they target the wrong players. Okay. Like, for example, Renoff Tony. I know Bulldogs fan, blah, blah, blah. You watch him and you go, he's got this guy's got potential. He's got everything. But they will go for a Jack Hetherington who runs hard and charges at people but has no lateral agility, right? Whereas an Tony doesn't seem to get the same push to be a first grader. He's, they're always on the fringes. You know what I mean? But And, and yes, you're, you're betting on talent and development, but the Panthers seem to have done that really well and sort of taken some of their players up a level. So if I were the Panthers, I'd... Probably let Leota go if he's going to command huge money. Coruscant, I think they might let him go, but he seems to be, like I was saying, one of those players that everyone seems to let go for whatever reason, but then they seem to totally miss him. So obviously something's not right with his impact on the field versus how he's rated by some of the teams. I think the Panthers' window could be shorter than we think. I think the Panthers' Possibly. window... Yeah, if they don't, If they lose all four, I'm not saying they will, but if they were to lose fullback, hooker, starting prop and probably the second most destructive left-edge second rower in the comp after Dave Fafita. That's four out of your starting lineup, right? Kikau is the one guy I think T is almost irreplaceable for them because I love to- we love Toho. He's great. But if you give him a little bit less space with Kikau on the inside there, things... You know, he starts to get cramped a little bit. He's not Unless as effective. Unless there's juniors we're not aware of, they'll come back to the pack really quickly. You, yeah. you, you can't take four or five players out of anyone's starting lineup no. and not have an impact, right? Trusting so. the Panthers, will probably have like eight juniors that are coming through. Yeah, and all those players that we that all those people will sign for the Bulldogs on a million dollars a year, of remarkably course, in, a, yes. in a nine million dollar salary cap. Yes, Trent Barrett and Phil Gould working their magic. I love the recruitment style at the moment. Fantastic job, Trent and Phil Gould. <laughs> Speaking of Phil Gould, he pitched an idea, and we were talking a little bit about the fact that Jersey Flag New South Wales Cup's been cancelled again for this year. He's suggesting an eight to nine game summer comp be played to give all those players, a combined Jersey Flag New South Wales Cup team, to give all those players that haven't had a chance at footy a run at the footy over summer. Now, um, did you see this idea? Yes. Well, and what did you think of it? Part of me thinks, God, you know, they need. You think to yourself, oh, they need a break. But then, what he's proposing, I think it's actually a good idea. I it's think not for the. A lot it's not for the thirty-man squad, though. It's for the players underneath. Look, there's a lot of kids that you know have been yeah. on the fringes. They're waiting to play. They're trying to develop themselves as a as a player. So I've, I've got a couple of concerns. I've got a couple of concerns. The heat. The heat is one. Two, the vaccination rates and whether they'll have to go into a bubble because a lot of these people aren't full time. The first yeah. thirty in the squad are. So. Yep. Where are they going to play it? It's a money so, issue. Well, 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 even if they can find the money, they're likely to play it in Queensland because of COVID. Yep. So, And think of the heat in Queensland for rugby yep. league in summer. And three, I think the problem you've got with this idea is the clubs. And what I mean by that is they're going to play fringe first graders to get games into the fringe first graders rather than giving the youngsters a run. Well, I didn't think of that that perspective but trusting the way some of the clubs are a bit self-serving i would correct agree with i that. mean all in, in the game of life always back self-interest at least you know it's trying i mean that's yes. the that and i think i like the idea from an altruistic perspective yeah but i think i think it's not rugby league right you've got to put some pretty stringent rules around it to get what you actually want out of it you basically i think sum that up it's from an altruistic reason when I looked at it, I thought, geez, that's a good idea to give these kids a go. But then now that you've given me the other side, I'm like, well, actually, that's probably what will happen. How do we sharpen up our first grade squad for next year? Correct, so, correct. 
Hey, Brad, Arthur, if you're listening, how about you try a different right edge? The 27 you've tried this year hasn't worked. Is, is Brad Arthur an edge fiddler the same way Kevin Walters fiddles with his halves all the time? I think so. We'll talk about it in the para game. I actually think... I've now switched. It's it's a coaching issue. Para's a coaching issue. It is. And Milford, I saw Milford and Kelly were back this week as well. So this is the 74th halfback com- halves combination for the Broncos. Well, I mean, Adam Reynolds will start every game last year, next year. I just don't know who's going to be their 5-8. I don't know who's, who's going to be their 5-8. You know, you know who I think it might be? That's a Broncos junior that wouldn't surprise me if they were talking to him. Darren Lockyer. <laughs> the man who's going to light the flame, Wally Lewis. No, Ash Taylor. Oh, it's you know he's what, a Broncos smoky. junior. It's possible. It's possible. It's not a lot of money, um, and, and and he's still got a lot of upside, and he is a genuine half as opposed to Katoni Staggs, who I think Katoni Staggs is going to be a bit like Dylan Brown at five eighth. He will be. So yeah, I don't know about the Broncos anyway. We'll talk about them a bit later, but they're all over the place. They're, they're doing some of the right things. Great effort. They've yeah. really turned a corner on the weekend. So. Something else I saw was six again analysis. Adrian Pozienko wrote an article in the SMH using yeah. the rugby league eye test around um, the six again analysis showed that Melbourne and the Dogs were gave away the most six again had the net highest net negative differential if you know what I mean. So yep. the Bulldogs have given away, and that tells me what one team's at the top of the table, the other one's alive. Correct. This is my point. So twenty eight <laughs> set restarts. Yep. Have given away twenty eight more set restarts than they've received, and Melbourne's minus twenty two. The Panthers and Para were both plus twenty six and plus twenty one. When you dig a bit deeper into the numbers, and numbers, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? Then so, there's Melbourne's wrestling, which makes them. Well, no, to Melbourne's play the not ball a wrestling and... team. Melbourne's got one of the quickest player the balls this year. Yeah. Melbourne, Craig Bellamy has changed the way Melbourne play. So the difference is Melbourne gives theirs away early in the defensive set and when the team when the team they're playing is coming off from their own line. Yep. Okay? The Bulldogs give it away whenever they're tired, which is after six minutes in the game. <laughs> it matches the eye test from what I see, yeah. It's the same negative differential, but you're giving it away at different times, right? And actually, you're in no position to argue about the wrestle because I reckon the team... Whoever your defensive coach is at the Dogs, they're doing a really bad job because you guys are defending like three years ago. The yeah. amount of wrestle in your tackles in defence is unbelievable to slow well, the play. I think they just down. can't get up because they're so tired. <laughs> you need a new fitness coach. Look, look when look when the Broncos changed their fit. Basically, within two weeks of them changing their fitness coach and putting a lot of work into them, look how much their football's changed. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything because I think these guys... The coaches are wedded to a certain style of player, a certain type of football, and you know what? The game's changed, and you've got to adjust the style of footy player you have, the fitness of the footy players, and who you recruit and train, and how you train. And Melbourne does that better than anybody has in a long time. You just see it. No one's ever too big. No one's ever too small. They get big, big guys who are naturally big, stay big, and skinny guys that are skinny pretty much stay pretty thin. They just add a little bit of muscle. It's the whole... You can get stronger without having to be bigger corollary, right? Whereas there's a lot of trainers from what you see that are just just get big, like the yeah. Titans and the big chess. And Dylan, Edwards' calves are massive, by the way. They are. They are, yeah. It's a, it's a G observation. And he's got a so. big chest. So obviously he's a fan of the um, leg press and the, the bench press. You're correct, or yeah, the chest fly. <laughs> <laughs> the... the st- See, the man with no muscles, the chest fly, whatever it's called. I'm the perfect specimen. When they did the Statue of David, it was me. (laughs) Craig Bellamy, who I think is probably the best coach in the comp, no wonder he's going around again, 
has already signalled to the media that he's going to start resting players in the lead up to the finals. Do you think any other team's going to do that? No, I don't. I you don't. don't think... You don't. You reckon the Storm and the Panthers are going to run it right to the line? Well, I think the Panthers have had so many injuries and so much shuffling that if I were the Panthers, I actually wouldn't. Cleary just got back. Luai, they're starting yeah. to settle back into their original positions. To'o's been out. They've got Naden there. Edwards, like their team. You know, Momorowski's in the team because Crichton's out. Like, can I just can I just quietly say Charlie Staines has been really poor. He got he actually got dropped. He's lost form. Their forwards, they might because they haven't really had that many injuries in the forwards. Um, but in the backs, I, I think they need to settle their backline because that's what's been missing for them the last seven or eight weeks. What about Manly? It looked like Tommy Turbo had a facial fracture and now they've come out and say, no, it's not fractured. But uh, long story short, Des is playing mind games, but it looks like he will be playing. Would you rest Tommy Turbo going into the finals? Ooh, close because they're on the fringe of the top. They're in the top four. Well, I think once once they get through the Raiders, I mean, I think they've got a pretty soft run in. I would at least give him a week off because their combos now are set, right? In that the way they're playing is very... A little bit structured from a Desi style of play. You can kind of see Desi's imprint in the way they're playing. It relies on Tommy Turbo. But I think if they rest some of their players, Manly have settled. Their back line's been playing together now for a long time. Their combos are all working. You'd probably give the odd player a rest here or there. But they're, they're on fire at the moment. You know, the, the, the thing is, T, do you want to tinker and give players a rest and break up their well, rhythm? I think, I think Para should rest um, Wonga Blake, Blake Ferguson, Dylan Brown, Mike Sivo. Tom Opacic. Okay. <laughs> and Mitch Moses. And they should consider Nathan Brown. They need Brown. a fresh, fresh batch of eels. Ryan Madison. I'd keep Isaiah Papali. I think Brad Arthur should go fishing in the Parramatta River to get some new eels. I think the, I think the issue <laughs> might not be the eels you're catching. It might be the fisherman and his rod. He's got, he's got the fishing line with no rod. That's Brad Arthur. All right. A couple of player news before I get to some of the more interesting stories of the week. Anthony Don's retirement. Uh, underrated winger he got he got a lot out of his career yeah i agree with that i think he's had a really really good career really underrated. good career made it made his debut late he was he ended up scoring like 100 tries he was just got a lot out of his career he'll go to, gold coast should actually keep him in the club i think he was a model professional when they were shit and and i just i just think great story anthony don really good player um sad to see him retire but you can see the injuries finally in age taking its toll on him he's had when the game's gotten quicker right he's he's, yeah. he's He's like the Nintendo character whose batteries drain. He's, he's getting slower and slower. Yeah, but way back, totally underrated. Like, he actually was impactful, very good defensively, very fast, good finisher. But it was almost like one of those players where, like, wow, Anthony Don's really good, but then that's all you ever hear of him, you know. He never had the profile of some of the other wingers, but really good career. Excellent. Yeah, great, great job. Hope he enjoys retirement. Now, the sad news was, this came through yesterday, we're recording this on... I think it's the seventh, Tuesday, the seventeenth of August. God knows, very early hour in the morning. Six twenty-three a.m. So for a bit rusty this morning, um, that's why. So in, in in more sobering news than your week, um, Andrew Fafita's in an induced coma after having his larynx larynx hit. It was it looked really innocuous, but but was, he's yeah. he's in he's in a bit of distress and it could be career ending. Like our thoughts and prayers with him. Hopefully a speedy recovery. Right, that's, that's very serious. Well, really, that's all that matters. I mean, you. I was watching the game, and then you saw him go off, and it sort of looked like he just took a heavy hit. But he wasn't. Didn't look too bad, really. It was David Clemmer. His, his arm not carrying the ball. His left arm was cocked a little bit, but it was his forearm, 
and it didn't look it, it was really innocuous like I, i'd hate to see him charged for it but he's got a fractured larynx and was struggling to breathe and they had to put him in a induced coma you wouldn't even think that that's an injury you know and you look at the amount of times how many collisions there are in every game across every week to have something like that like it's it's the chances are absolutely minute and unfortunately um he's struggling in intensive care so hopefully like you say he's in induced coma to help him breathe hopefully he recovers and he he recovers okay but you do hear about this type of stuff right like some players get crushed larynxes i think steve price had it I think Darren Lockyer had it. That's why they speak very horsey because they've had um, a crushed larynx before. They came back from a career perspective, but uh, I don't remember them being in intensive care either. So hopefully... Um, I think this is quite serious, right? I think the recovery will be a while. And, and yeah, I, yeah. so our thoughts and prayers, right? You wish him a speedy recovery and his health is the most important thing. Yeah, so hopefully we see Andrew Fafita back and up and, and okay and the career can... It would be secondary. So hopefully That's he's right. well. Wish you the best, Andrew. And and we have been a little bit critical of him and his, let's just say... His diet? Perceived lack of... Yeah, I was going to go perceived lack of professionalism, but let's go with diet. Yeah. So, but we do we do wish him a speedy recovery. The hospital food might help. You know what the thing is? He's... I, I don't think I could ever say that when he's been on the field, he's ever not tried. Oh, he's a tryer. He's absolutely... But he's on a lot of money there as well and... Yeah, you know, there's there's a a di- I suppose it's a different level now. I suppose they're expecting that on a weekly basis, and that's where he's probably probably lost a bit of motivation, I would say. To yeah, I don't think they've like, treated him particularly well either. No, there's that. There's a lot of the stuff off-field where he seemed to get you know criticism for whatever it is, like whether you agree with him or not, like supporting his mate who was in jail. You have that. They won, He won the competition with Cronulla. He's on huge money. It's kind of like it's he's reached the peak. It's hard to kind of maintain that over a number of years right and he slowly sort of started to come off that and but they're expecting him to still be dominant Andrew Fafita from five or six years ago that's right that's right all right well let's move on to the three stories that that and there always are these stories right first up Remus Smith came out with a puff piece in the in the newspaper around um the fact that he knocked back the storm five years ago when he was just starting to break into grade at the dogs and his dad, Tyrone Smith, told him to go to the store. And he said, no, no, no. I, I really believe in what the Bulldogs are building here. Now, he's now at the storm after five terrible years at the Dogs. There's no other way to put it. Two, he had two, his first year was incredible. No, no, he, he I'm, not saying, I'm not saying his personal form. I'm saying just not a great situation for a young player to come through on. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, <laughs> Just, just Remus Smith. I just want someone with better decision making on my right edge. This, I, this, this made me think about if this was, if, if mate, if your decision making is I can go to the storm, the most professional outfit, or stay with this rabble that is the Bulldogs, and that's the bloke making my slide out or come in decision on my right edge. Forget about fitness training. I'd be sticking him in a classroom and putting hey. decision making under pressure. Hey, number one, my friends used to go to school with his auntie. I used to know his auntie. Fantastic, fantastic person. She was great. So you can't say anything bad about Remus Smith. Number two, I don't think our our kids would listen to us when they're 17. Either, to be so quite that's frank. the other part of this story. Tyrone Smith. <laughs> you, what he should have said to him was, stay at the Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah actually, yes. There's two ways to look at that. As a dad... We stay at the Bulldogs. No, you know what? Stuff you obligate to Melbourne. And secondly, what does that say about Melbourne's rec- recruitment and talent identification? They got him 
had a look at him when he was 17. He stays in their, on their radar. database or on their radar and they're always watching, right? Like Ado Car, like a few of these players. They keep an eye on them and they track them because they identify... They're obviously looking at things that other gee, teams are Gee, not. gee, it can't be that hard. Think of it this way. They're 30-man squad, 16 players, and then if you've got another 15 players in any one year coming up through the grade, it's not... You're only keeping track of it. A thousand to two thousand players at any one time. Think of the footballers. Like the football, the football manager database is larger than what these clubs have to track. I'm not going to say anything. Like maybe I'm naive, but I think I used to assume they had some of this stuff. Maybe now they have, but let's be honest. I don't think the whole data verse and rugby league stuff is all there, except for six agains and. No, no, the data, the stuff. data, uh, the Moneyball stuff has not hit rugby league, and there is that—that no. that is that that is low-hanging fruit for one club that that decides to actually use the analysis properly. The problem is the da- the sophistication of the data being produced isn't great. Like in the AFL, the AFL produces quite sophisticated data sets, and 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 we don't have that in in rugby league. We've got we've got possession, tackle counts, missed tackles. Like they're very blunt blunt tactical numbers they're right? basic style the VB VB hard earned but you know it's stuff like well the VB hard earned index is actually one of the advanced sort of statistics well it's advanced but I mean no one knows how it's calculated they use it for promotion rather than a serious du- you know like that's the these, NRL all over yeah, it's isn't the NRL it? all over right but it does show me that the Storm always keep a track of these things and they're looking at plays that other teams I'll not. tell you what else it shows me you guys have no idea what you're doing oh you don't have to tell me that I've been saying that for seven years now so Five years, you've been saying that. Longer. And you've been talking about the 2003-2004 Bulldogs for the last 15 years. So so the next piece of news that I loved, which was a throwback to 1980s, was Ivan Cleary representing Appy Coruscant at the judiciary. <laughs> I saw that. That's great. So, one, Ivan Cleary's not a lawyer. He is now. Two, this is one of the most wealthy clubs in the rugby league. Guys, guys, you can... You could you could pay a lawyer. Is Ivan Cleary the physio of the club as well? I mean, what? And then what about the news story the next day? He did a really good job, uh, but he got two weeks. <laughs> Is there anything he can't do? Is Appy Coruscant's real name Appy Cleary? Look, would you have even expected Nathan Cleary to do a half competent job? So even if he was okay, it'd be like, wow. Well, forget about Nathan fantastic. Cleary. What about Ivan Cleary, who actually did Ivan, the representing? Sorry. I'm telling you, um, I believe Ivan Cleary was the, the fake doctor for eight months at Bankstown Hospital last week too. Listen, if, if Ivan Cleary, who's not a lawyer, can represent Appy Corus out at the judiciary, the judiciary may not be this legal institution that we think it is. <laughs> I'm not saying anything in case we get sued by, by Ivan Cleary. All right, just brilliant. All right, and, and the last piece of news before we move on to the round. It's another big week. I told you, it's never a dull week in rugby no, league. No, it's not. Channel 9 are negotiating the free-to-air rights or renegotiating the free-to-air rights with the Emperor and, and the NRL. Yep. Yep. And, of course, they pulled out the big guns. I don't know whether you saw this during the week, but um, Karl Stefanovic, who should actually... <laughs> actually, his name should be pronounced... Can I, I object to Stefanovic? Isn't it Stef- Stefanovic? Stefanovic. Stefanovic is the way you pronounce his surname. It He's is, Karl right? Stefanovic. And there's nothing wrong okay. with Stefanovic, Karl... Own your roots. Anyway, Carl is uh, the big gun. Carl Stefan- Stefanovic is going to use his incredibly tight friendship with Peter Volandis to negotiate on Channel Nine's behalf. Now, I want to be at the party. Does Carl Stefanovic own a horse? I don't know, but but <laughs> Carl Stefanovic and 
the emperor at a party would be a sight to behold. A, t- a Roman toga party. I don't even know what. It's not even is. fancy dress. That's just the way they get around. Carl Stefanovic, if he turned up to negotiate on behalf of Channel Nine, I would just go. You know what? You guys are out. Could what? you imagine how that negotiation would go? They just yell at each other. What the hell? I mean, the fact that he's there to negotiate. Oh, look, it's not that he can't negotiate. It's none of that. It's not a commentary on anything. He might be brilliant behind. Who knows? But the fact that Carl Stefanovic is there trying to negotiate the deal with Peter Volandis and trying to get some kind of discount for Channel. I mean, I don't think he's trying to get a discount. I think, I think he's. I think, and, and in fairness, I think he just offered to negotiate. I don't know whether Channel Nine's going to take Carl up on his offer to. Look, it just sounds good, but I, I just think the Channel Nine's made a mockery of rugby league for a long time to some degree. I agree with that. Would you a change? It's just gotten I stale. It's just gotten stale, and the I think state of think origin is always the greatest tackle of all time. If someone throws a forward pass, it's the greatest forward pass of all time. They're, they're... Can I can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? State of origin as a footballing experience. Yeah, it's not as good. It's not it, like it's deteriorated in the last five years. But of course it has, right? Because a lot of the players are Pacifica players or aren't playing. Like you would have said, Jason Tomalolo would have been one of the better players three or four years ago. Did he play State of Origin? No. There's been quite the, the demographics have changed. We've got a lot more English players. Not every single best player in the comp is from New South Wales or Queensland anymore, right? So, but Channel Nine hypes. But well, this is why international football is so important. Yeah, but they hype it like crazy because it's a money spinner for them, right? Whereas I watch the semi-finals. That should be a big deal, whereas they don't seem to be as big a deal as one State of Origin game. So I think Channel Nine's actually shifted the focus from the NRL itself to State of Origin for their own purposes, whereas you can hype both, you know? So anyway, I, I, I think we're due a change, so I'm not a big fan. I did see an article about the Gutherson payment and what fullbacks are paid. Why is it that none of this stuff's public? Oh, I, we, we say this every the year. The salary we cap has to be public. I read these articles about, oh, he's worth this much. Well, no one even knows. Oh, this team's got a well, they're quasi there anyway. salary they're, cap. They're quasi there anyway. They, they now publish, with the help of the agents, the Daily Telegraph publishes a list of the 100 best, highest paid players in the league every year. Now, there's how many players are there in the comp? There's 30-man 30, 30 squads times 16 is 480. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we should, we should... I agree. I think... To get rid of all this salary cap stuff, just publish the salaries. Like, in a way, they're moving to a system where you're transferring players and loaning players and stuff like that. To be honest, you almost need to. All right, let's move on to round 21. Yep. Uh, first up, it was the Storm versus the... We had a few really, really good games, I thought, this weekend. Yeah. Um, the, 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 it's interesting the footy's getting better closer to the finals because teams are now timing their run, right? And we just got through the lull of mid-season and origin. So Storm versus the Raiders. Storm got up 26-16. It was the Storm's 18th win of the season. They haven't lost since Justin Olam lost his mind and got held up by Kikau right at the death against the Panthers in round three. Yep. Now, in this game, the Raiders got off to a great start and got the first try through Bailey Simonson. He ended up getting a hat-trick, and the Raiders really targeted the Storm's right edge of Remus Smith and Dean Iremea. Yes. After the, after the early Raiders try, the Storm dominated the rest of the half, scoring three tries through Brandon Smith's with that dummy half run, a long-range try down their right edge, and then Cam Munster put Chris Lewis over for the Storm to lead 20-4 to at half-time. The Raiders have historically given the Storm a lot of trouble, but even I was surprised by how much they dominated the Storm in the second half. The Raiders ran in two tries down the Storm right edge, with Jack White and having a hand in both, to narrow the Storm lead to 20-16 to with 25 minutes to go. The Storm kicked three penalties, including one from Ryan Pappenheisen right on the bell after a remorseful Harawira Naira 
absolutely collected Jerome Hughes high, and he was he was very remorseful on social media afterwards. And but it, it was it deserved to be sent off, sent off, and it looks like his season could be gone because even with an early early plea, he's going to get a three week suspension. So so it was a very tight game. Craig Bellamy said after the game that the Storm lost the plot in the first 20 minutes of the second half and then they got tight in the last 20 minutes and I think that was absolutely right. And after Manly last week, there are some chinks in the armour that may be appearing for the Storm. In this game, they went trialless in the second half. Um, despite this, the Storm have set a new club record of most points in a season and will be looking to equal the Roosters' 1975 record. Um, of 19 wins in a row against the, the the Titans this Thursday. For the Raiders, they likely now need to win two out of their last three to make the eight, but have Manly, the Warriors, and the Roosters. So, so they I don't, won't? I, I, don't, I don't think they will. They've been a, bit, a little bit too inconsistent. But they are playing better. They're, the games are getting tighter for them. But, you know, they're a chance. But but if Tommy Turbo plays this week, I think it's a hard ask to get over Manly. And then they got to win their last two, So including the Ra- Roosters in the last game of the, round, the season. Um, Canberra in this game, in my opinion, should have won. But when they got the game back to 20-16, to 16, they made too many errors. High tackles, drop balls, not finding touch from penalties. You know, it just it's emblematic of their season for me. And the only other point I had from this game was, what about Jack Whiten's hit on Dean Iremea? It was like an earthquake. Oh, that was one of the best legal hits. There's been a few where you kind of, players have bumped up off the shoulders or whatever, but that was like a full clean Amazing, hit. wasn't and it? he smashed him. Absolutely smashed him. And he got back up and played the ball. Good on him. So, look, I mean, what else is there to add? I thought, uh, in terms of Melbourne, you, you think about, they're basically one jo- Justin Olam pass away from being undefeated so far, which is mind-blowing. Except, except they, they lost to us too. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Shit, sorry. Whoops, forgot about that. <laughs> I've, I've forgotten, forgotten all the Parramatta wins. I, I thought, again, they you know the Raiders started off pretty well. I thought they were on top for a while with Bailey Simonson scoring. I think, like you say, they were targeting Iremia and Remus Smith, which is, is Melbourne's weaker side defensively but then they let in a soft try to Brandon Smith you know and and then Melbourne piled up a few quick tries in a row like with another great long distance try which was which was brilliant football to really stretch raise it was basically the Raiders defense wasn't too bad Melbourne just executed too fast and had too too much numbers and then too much speed you know 18-4 I thought Melbourne's going to run away with it like they have with most of the other games this year and Canberra really came back you know I mean Testament to them, I think Whiten started to run more directly at the line, but also start throwing passes. I mean, watching a fair bit of the Raiders, I don't really notice Whiten. He's been more a runner this year, and they've sort of keyed in on that. And I, I thought he mixed the game up. They were still watching his run, but he gave. He came from deeper, and he came at the line faster. And the the, the defense had to make a decision, and he was actually passing the ball as well. And they did bamboozle that that storm right side so you know there's a few chinks in the armor there the melbourne melbourne have come back to the pack a little bit matt johns has written about this and i think i think he's he's probably right what i don't know is whether he's doing the wayne bennett thing and putting run in their legs before the finals that i don't not quite sure right so i'm i'm with bellamy i thought once the raiders got it back to 22 16 with another good try to simonson i thought they started like you said started to buckle a little bit because they've rarely been under pressure all year like they've they're kind of like Souths in a way where they're flogging everybody. Some games have just been way too easy. So as soon as it started to get tight, I found the Raiders came out very aggressively and started to smash them in the second half as well, which I think impacted the storm a little bit. Like the the Raiders were legally aggressive, kind of over-the-top legally aggressive. And I, th- I threw them out. And I really thought they started to panic and... At the end of the day, they kind of, you know, got away with one. Well, I, I think they could have won the game at the end. I think they just, you know, they haven't been in that position enough. 
They just didn't know how to get it over the line. No, and Canberra, like you say, it's emblematic of this season. On offs, you know, good patches, poor patches. But but as for Melbourne, uh, but again, they got away with the win tee. So, you know, 18 in a row. I did say a few weeks back, I mean, that I think they'd break, they're going to break that 19, 19 game winning streak that the Roosters had in 1975, which, considering the way rugby league's played, is unbelievable. So It is unbelievable. I'm expecting them to win 20. And maybe the last game, like you mentioned a week or two ago, they might rest players, or quite a few of them. But I think they'll go for the 20. Well, I got a perfect round in my tipping too, just so you know. You're now last and I'm second in the tipping comp. Can I just say on the Super League, because we've only got... This is why I love the Super League. First game of the season, Jim Bond played this morning. Yeah, I got up for it. Mark Howe, the Galatasaray midfielder, got sent off for running across the field and headbutting his own teammate. Turkish football, I love it. (laughs) Next, uh, um, okay, what's the next game? So next, next up, it's, that's a true story. Google it later. The Dragons oh. versus the Panthers. The, the, the next up, it was the Dragons versus the Panthers. The Panthers got up 34-16 in this one. It was the early kickoff. It's the most points the Panthers have scored since Cleary's been out. What a difference he's made, right? He came back into yes. the side. Despite these points, though, I thought the Dragons were the better team in the first half. They dominated field position, had all the ball, but the Panthers scored first when Brent Naden intercepted a Corey Norman cutout pass to race 90 metres to score. Can I just say that play for the Dragons is usually Matt Dufty throwing that pass, not Corey Norman. Left to right, right edge of the field to the winger Ravalawa. Um, It's Matt Dufty. It's Matt Dufty throwing that pass. That is a set play. It's Matt Dufty throwing that pass. And now that he's not there, it was left to Corey Norman. And you see the difference Matt Dufty makes in attack, right? In one play. Huge momentum changer that. I thought, I'm with you. I thought Saints were a lot a lot better than the Panthers to begin the game. And I thought that just... Well, I thought they were better the first half, right? Even the, the you know, they continued to dominate and equalised after a brilliant pass from Zach Lomax around the corner to Ravalawa. Unfortunately for the Dragons, Corey Norman threw another intercept, which eventually resulted in Naden's second try. And Ravalawa then dropped a Luai bomb and the Panthers set up a play on the right edge, which resulted in Dylan Edwards spinning over the line to make it 16-6 at half time. They didn't deserve it though. The, the Panthers only had 40% possession and only competed 12 out of 20 sets. All the... Panthers' tries came from Dragons' errors. Two intercepts and a drop bomb. But then in the second half, the Panthers scored two early tries, including one scored after Nathan Nathan Cleary's shoulder charge on Jack Bird. And I'll be interested in your thoughts on whether you thought that was a shoulder charge. It's Nathan Cleary. His dad defended him during the game and he got off. Here's my problem. I get that it's not an intent that he was bracing himself and all that sort of stuff, but none of that is in the rules. The rules say, this is the misconception about the shoulder charge rule. And we had this discussion when Jordan Rapana a few weeks ago took out Mike Acevo at the end. The shoulder charge rule doesn't say there needs to be high contact. It just says that you don't wrap your arms around the player. You can't have a shoulder charge at all. It's got nothing to do with high contact. They tried to outlaw it out of the game. So it's a shoulder charge? Yes, but it's Nathan Cleary. Yeah, well, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm not, I'm saying, that, And I'm getting Jack Bird targeted the shoulder and all that's true and 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 should it be a penalty that well maybe not but what i'm saying is it's almost like the obstruction rule you're either trying to get rid of this or you're not it's black and white it's a bloody shoulder charge you didn't wrap the arm around in the same way i thought jordan rapana's was a shoulder charge you've got to wrap your arm around to be honest to you i think they've been a little bit more lenient on the shoulder charges this season they've gone more after the, the high contact which is a good thing but if you look at that in past seasons if there's any 
no attempt to wrap, like you say, your arms around the player. It was always a penalty, no matter what, right? So I think they've been a little bit more lenient this year in that as long as they're not, you're not deliberately leaning in trying to hit, they're kind of letting some of the older... Sh- sure, but it's interpretation. It's not the rules, right? It is, yes. But uh, would I say that it would have been a penalty like last year or the year before? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, the Panthers ended up running out 34-16 winners, but not before Talatau Amoni was given his debut with 25 minutes to go. And geez, didn't he show some spark? He's got some talent, oh. that kid. For, for Saints, I think it's time to play the kids, including Talatau Amoni, get some legs into him, I think. But this is not where their recruitment's going. And I think time to drop Corey Norman. He's not going to be there next year. I, th- I think you need to move forward. But it's not where Anthony Griffin's head's at, right? He's going to keep bringing in middle-aged players to try and finish seventh. Well, that's what it looks like, right? I don't understand with the Dragons. But to be, hey, let's let's give Anthony Griffin maybe you know some credit because he might be wanting to bring them along slowly because they're so young. So in terms of blooding them in, you know, five games one year, maybe twelve the next and sort of bring them into first grade over a period of a couple of years. Now, whether you agree that that's the right thing to do or not, I you know you can argue about that, but he could be doing that as well, in that they're too young to be full-timers. And I think there's a strong element of truth to that. Unless you're an absolute freak, that's kind of the history of a lot of these younger players. They, they do develop better when they're slowly brought through over two or three-year period, right? Um, rather than just thrown in and all their mistakes are highlighted and picked apart when no one's really caring if they're 18 years old for example you know then you can counter argue and have a reese walsh and say look how good he is like you say so but you gotta you gotta get if if the objective is to win the comp you're either building towards winning the comp or you're or you're nowhere back end of this year t i agree with you play the kids right you're not going to make the semis you've got a few games three or four games let them have a run and and, and get a taste of it yeah but if you give the kids a go and you give the kids a go next year in a few years time you might be ready to challenge you might be the next panthers but the way he's going he wants to finish seventh next year well yeah it looks like the recruitment is interesting or sixth next Um, year right like it's not it's he's never he's not going to win the comp he doesn't have a team that's better than melbourne he doesn't have a team that the roosters are going to be really good next year with all the games they've given the youngsters because of the injuries it's going to turn out well for the roosters yeah panthers will be back next year those guys they haven't lost all those guys yet like like south south oh who knows it'll depend on what happens with adam reynolds and cody walker but they're not they're not going to be better than any of those teams no it's a different level at the moment right but like you, I thought I was actually surprised at how well the Dragons played. I thought they played really well, and I think the last few weeks have actually been quite spirited. They just haven't had enough to win the games, or they've fallen away right at the end, which is what sort of happened here as well. But the first half, um, like you, I thought they were lucky to be behind. They just couldn't score the tries to to you know reflect the dominance in the game. Um, Lomax being backs made a difference. And Bravalara as well. It's made them far more potent. Even though, I mean, they didn't score because they're playing against Penrith, but they look more confident when they're they're um, attacking. And Naden's intercept, I thought, changed the momentum a little bit and got got the Panthers back into the game a bit more. And then, like you say, they scored a few tries before half time, and the Dragons went in a fair bit behind when really they should have been ahead or at least level with the Panthers. So you know, a bit of a, a confidence sapper. And in the second half, I thought Panthers' attack started to go back into sync a little bit in terms of what it was like earlier in the year because Luai, Cleary, they started to, the combination started to come and, and flow a little bit more. And you saw Luai more in his natural element this week, space to move, improvisation, stepping, creating, Burton playing off him, whether it's an inside step or running a hard line. And Burton again showed brilliant footwork and acceleration and good, power. Good signing for the dogs. You got him under 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 dollars. Yeah, I told you he'd be a great signing. I saw he's him a more effective centre 
with a good 5'8", then he is a 5'8". But he could grow into. You could see there's a lot that you could. There's a lot you could do there. I he mean, can grow into a five eight. What you don't want is him being a ball, ball player floating around. He's he's a he's an incredible runner, and that's what makes him. He's like a bit of evolutionary Jack Whiten in a way. Yeah. Okay. If I think about it, and like you, I was excited by Amone. Like God, he showed. I don't know a, a bit of courage. He showed courage. Yeah, courage. He was aggressive. He's got a great step, good speed, acceleration, and good skill. And and, and an scared. X factor that they can do with. Yeah. Um, so the dragons, like you say, have a you know Sloane, Amone. They, they, there's a bit of you know Fiange is looking better week to week. Zach Lomax, they're, they're not too bad. They're, you know they've got something, but like you say, it's like some of the other recruitment. But their timelines, all those players you mentioned, their timelines not the same timeline as the players they're recruiting. No, like Andrew McCulloch. No. Um, yeah, I know. You I know think I mean? Andrew McCulloch's like, good to have around for a year or two unless you've got a hooker solely because of his professionalism. Yeah, but if you've got a really good hooker in the juniors, you've got to bring them through to get so that they're like you know what I mean? Like you got the Panthers are where they are because all those players came through together. The, the the Panthers development, the Panthers development is exactly the way the AFL do it. Except I know there's a draft, but they draft in the players, they like you know what I mean? They build them up. The only two teams that don't do that are in the AFL, Geelong and Sydney. They're the only ones that have been able to regenerate themselves. We'll have to see what they do. But um, Panthers, good win. And really just a game to get Cleary back into the groove. And in the second half, it looked like they were slowly falling back in. And Naden, um, good performance by Brett Naden as well. Yeah, great. great Getting better the more he's playing. So um, Panthers starting to click into gear again. Next up, the Channel 9 game of the round. And it actually proved that way. I didn't have high hopes for it. The Broncos versus the Roosters. Um, The Roosters ended up... Great game. Roosters ended up winning 21-20. The Roosters have shown, and Cuts, our mate Cuts is going to be happy about this, mad keen Roosters supporter. The Roosters have shown so much grit this season. Is this a better season for them than the back-to-back winning Premiership seasons? They have had 62% of their salary cap out. They've had all these injuries. They're in the top four with three weeks to go. And they, that continued this game, pulling this out at the death. Just fantastic effort from the Roosters. They've got a spirit and a system there that really works. Um, having said that, Payne Haas did get the Broncos off to the perfect start, start when they isolated Nat Busher to crash over to make it 6-0. Isaac Liu then effectively did exactly the same thing at the other end by isolate, isolating Albert Kelly. Uh, and that's the way this whole game went. When the Broncos did something and threatened to get away, the Roosters responded and both teams swapped a try each to make it 12-all at halftime. But one play I want to call out in the first half is when Teddy danced through the Bronx in the 29th minute. I knew you were going to say that. And Payne Haas, mate, what a And tackle. looked like scoring and got run down by Payne Haas, the prop. What an engine. What a player. Amazing. He's the, he's the prop. This guy's the, the best prop in the game. I have to say, I was a bit, not. I wouldn't say sceptical because there's always some big behemoth that's got agility. They always go, oh, this guy's going to be blah, blah, blah. This year, he's taken a huge step forward, in my opinion. He's heaps. I don't know what it is, but he's whether the team around him is better as well, which has helped. But he's been unbelievable this year, this season. I, I don't he, think he's it gone is. to he's another been, level. He's been great in games where they, the rest of the team's been shit. I mean, from he he ran, but this is this is the Broncos, right? It's so a desire. Payne Haas, the prop, runs down James Tedesco. The ensuing play of the ball, David Mead holds him down for six, the remainder of the half, basically, and doesn't get pinned. <laughs> doesn't get sin binned identical to Jared Warrior Hargraves last week. No sin binning. Yeah, I know. I and know. Luckily, Dale Copley got scored on that set. Dale Copley's had two wins this season. 
for the Broncos against the Roosters and then the Roosters against the Broncos. They're the only two wins he's had this season. He's like a mercenary. He's like a mercenary. The, the game got really desperate in the second half and the team swapped tries just through, first through Albert Kelly, who looked good. Um, I thought Albert Kelly had a decent game. He did, had a good before game. Before James Tedesco struck back almost immediately to make it 18 all with 10 to go. And what a wild ride the last 10 minutes were. First, Sam Walker kicks a field goal, then turns the ball over on the next set. Then on the next set, Victor Radley attacked Albert Kelly's feet dangerously, which was absolutely a penalty. It, it was, was a correct penalty, penalty. honestly, um, not a... Not really a dirty play. Now, Victor Radley was just so desperate in his desire, but I get it. But Victor Radley didn't have a good game. He's not. He doesn't suit the new rules, and I'm going to get to that in a second. It put the Bronx in front. The Roosters managed to get the ball back from a short kickoff. This is all in the last ten minutes, and then looked to have dropped the ball before Teddy challenged, and the tackle on Tupanua was deemed to be high contact from Flegler, and Adam Kieran kept his cool. Jeez, I mean, if only the the Bulldogs could use someone like Adam Kieran. Anyway, kept his cool to slot the. Penalty under pressure. The, <laughs> the Roosters won this through the middle with Isaac Liu and Takiaho. Great up front. James Tedesco had to do everything in this one and got some help from Lachlan Lamb when he came on, who gave them a lot of spark in the last 20 minutes when he, when he came on for Sam Verrills at hooker. But can I just say for the Roosters, amazing effort. And I don't praise the Roosters like this. Just, just gutsy win. But can I say, they've got a few players that aren't playing particularly well, and some of them are big names. The bubbles burst on Sam Walker. There is nowhere left for him to hide unless they, in defence, unless they put, they dig a 10 by 10 metre ditch, a, a trench, and stick him in there. There is nowhere left for him to hide. Um, he's making a lot of errors, and because of the injuries, they can't drop him. Like Normally with youngsters, you put two or three games into their legs, they get a yep. bit of a spell, then they come back. They can't do it because of the injuries. Victor, no Radley, Victor Radley hasn't been great. He, the new rules really don't suit Victor Radley. And Drew Hutchinson and Daniel Tupo were also very poor. I, it's been a long time. Daniel Tupo's a bit out of form. And Drew Hutchinson's only playing because of the injuries to Luke Geary and the, the other halves. So that was my take on this, what I thought was a sensational game. It was a great game. Payne Haas, for me, was the man of the match. He was just immense. He was everywhere in attack, defence, desire, leadership. Like I just thought he was fantastic. And I thought Albert Kelly and Anthony Milford played pretty well for the Broncos in the halves. This is Kevin Walters' 77th halves pairing this year. I thought Jordan Ricky also had a, had a good game for the Broncos as well. But the break and the try and the tackle we talked about, which was a massive highlight. And then also Milford scored a brilliant try through Broncos' skill under the post, which was just fantastic backing up and, and attacking from the Broncos. I just thought the Roosters... I, I kind of thought the Broncos were going to come home and, and hang, hang, um, hang on. But honestly, the Roosters this year, the amount of injuries, injuries to big names, players that are out, players that are playing in different positions, the fact that they're still fourth and just about every week you still tip them from a tipping point of view because you think they'll win, I think is remarkable. I mean, I'll give them shit for a bit of a, a bit of a laugh, but the culture that they got going on there is is something else. Like, they, 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 there's no excuses in a way. Like, they don't, they, they have a million excuses this year, right? But they just keep on oh, turning up. More. You're right, 100% right. You know, you've you got players like Marshke or Kieran, and I'm not saying this as a Dogs fan, but, you know, our recruitment said, no, nah, you're not good enough to play. They're, they're playing key roles for the Roosters who are a top four side because they develop their players and they're playing in positions they haven't played before. They're, they just, they've done an amazing job, Roosters, this year. And the Broncos improving enormously. Yeah, they turned um, the which is which is great, you know. And I think Flegler moving to prop is another one of these Cohen Hess type of guys. He gets tired. Jack DeBellin. Jack DeBellin. He, he doesn't. He's not a wide. He's not a fringe player. He's too 
he lacks lateral agility, right? But in the middle, and if you had didn't have an engine and was a and were a wide second rower, for lack of a better term, or or, or a left or right edge player, the game's too quick now. You, the game's they, they too quick now, right? They can't afford to use the interchanges on you on the no. edges, so you got to come through the middle. That's right. Your back rowers are almost tending more back towards the the Hallettaus in a couple of years. These agile guys that can cover two gaps in defence, right? But aren't that big? I agree. But I thought Takiyaho, I thought had a great game. And Isaac Liu, one of my favourite unsung players, had a great game as well. And I thought the try to Tedesco was massive. I know the last ten minutes were crazy, but I thought the Roosters were gone. And that just he's backing they just up. Just kept coming back. His backing up was huge. It sort of tied the game, and then oh, everything went crazy. Um, yeah, correct. Yeah, look, I can't fault Victor Adley for his desperation. It was a penalty, but he's trying. He, he's so, trying. he tried so hard to block that. And you know what? Unfortunately, he caught his leg. He just missed it. So, um, but good win by the Roosters. A few lucky breaks here or there, but a fantastic performance by the Broncos. Well, good game. Great. Thank you. Let's move on to shitty Saturday, and it certainly was for my <laughs> Parramatta Eels. It was a great Saturday. It was a great one for you. You were very chippy on the text. So let's start off with the first game, which was South versus the Titans. Well, the, the Titans were blown off the park in the first half. The Bunnies had 58. What are you going to say about this game? This is like oh, South's every game for yeah, the last yeah. 20, 20 games. But Bunnies had 58% possession in the first half and ran in four tries to nil to go to halftime 24-0. When Braden Burden scored his second try five minutes into the second half and Adam Reynolds converted to make it 30-0, Souths became the first team in rugby league history to score 30 or more points. Um, in eight consecutive games. Corey Thompson got one back before Luttrell set up Josh Mansour for his second to make it 36-6 and, and break their all-time record for points in a season. The South's left edge and Cody Walker again brilliant. I think he'll win the Dally M. Titans right edge missed 11 tackles um, and, and they haven't lost since May now, the Souths. Titans are, you know, they, I think they'll finish in the top eight, but but they're, they're clearly a cut below the top five or six teams. Yeah, they in the are. They um, are. Titans are pretenders in my book. Um, the, the Souths also scored a couple of tries off scrums, which was great to see, and this is why we still need scrums in the game. Now, the Titans finished ninth, so if they make the eighth this year, it's still progress for them, but there's a leap they need to make this offseason. There is. It's called um, not doing bench press for your weight session every Well, I think day. they need new halves. Maybe they pers- persevere with Toby Sexton, but but they, I think they need a... They a, need a fitness coach, T. They are un- they, they, they're not suited. The way they're training and the way they're built is not suited. I also the think they need a the hooker. Game. So there is a couple of player shortages there that I think they need to look at. Yeah, I think Mitch Rain does a good job, but again, he's like bolted up. He's turned into a little... Mitch Rain squat. defensively is okay. I just don't think he gives him enough spark in attack. You're, I think you're right there. I think I thought Damian Cook, when he was attacking the line, this game made a difference. It sort of threw out the Titans' defence. And I think, like you always say, South really needs him to be attacking, not just sort of shuffling the ball around. It does give their attack more dimension. And not in terms of points scored, but it gives them an, another point of... of um, a threat. A threat, right? Rather than just Cody Walker or whatever. But Cody Walker, again, just magic player. I think one try for me summed it up is where there was an offload by Jay Arrow and it went to Damian Cook. And all you saw, if you watch a replay, Cody Walker just goes, oh, shit, I can score here. And his whole, you know, he just changed, shifted into top gear, looked for the ball from Cook, picked it up, busted through the gap, and put the winger away to score. And it was just, you could see that he's just looking to score all the time, which is, I think, makes a huge difference. He's, he's always opportunistic and he's reading the game really well. But South were just, honestly, just too good. It's another one of these games where they were just too classy, too skillful. And then, after they were up, you know, 24-0, they just sort of 
put the Q in the rack like they have done most of the other games. Yeah, it was it was a Souths game and Titans were the Titans. You don't know what shows up. Quite honest, I reckon if I was outside Cody Walker, I would score three tries a season. No, you wouldn't. Okay. I think that left edge, you could walk across the line when you play for Souths. Um, the other thing is a good try by the Titans at the end to Corey Thompson, one of my favourite players. It was fantastic. Who do you think would win out of a bench press competition? Josh Mansell or Greg Marju? Okay. The battle of the bench press. <laughs> If we move on to the second game in Shitty Saturday. <laughs> so let's move on to the second game in Shitty Saturday. Usually when G has those observations, it's time to move on. So we're into the second game of Shitty Saturday. It's Cowboys versus Titans. Um, Tigers, sorry. Titans. For, for 70 minutes, I thought the Tigers won the arm wrestle. It was a real match style of game and scored four tries to one to lead 24-6. And even then, the Cowboys only scored through a mistimed midfield bomb where the Tigers didn't show enough hunger to regather the ball. And and the, the the Cowboys kicked again, and they got a try off the back of it early in the first, uh, late in the first half. For that seventy minutes, I thought Adam Duahi was the class player on the field with two try assists, seven tackle busts, and one hundred and seventeen run meters. And and during that seventy minutes, the Cowboys missed forty tackles and made six errors. So, and and the reason why I'm saying seventy minutes is they killed them for seventy minutes. They got into a match game. You, you know, I thought they were the better team. But then, in the last 10 minutes, the Tigers' line speed in defence fell off a cliff. They just sat back on the 10-metre line, and the Cowboys made easy metres. So fitness is clearly a problem at the Tigers, and the, which, is, which is unusual in a Madge Maguire team. And the Cowboys exploited, explo, exploited that's, I'll get that word out, the Tigers' suspect right edge to score two tries. And, and, and the, sec, the second after Luke Brooks was binned for a professional foul. And in the end, Val Holmes couldn't kick the conversion or a penalty right on the death, and the Tigers held on. The Cowboys' ninth loss in a row. I think Michael Cheekam in the centres has solidified the Tigers' defence a little bit, which I think has helped on that side. Um, he's a veteran. He's positionally aware. He's, he's a good defender, generally speaking. I thought Stefano had a great game for the Tigers. Yeah, he's played well. The Tigers are playing into a bit of form. He's getting better. Um, I do think they, like you, they dominated. They could finish ninth. They could finish ninth. Like, yeah, I'm not going to even go there, seriously. Like, they they dominated that game, and they were ahead only... I mean, it was an un- unlucky try, but 12-6 at half time. That They were killing the Cowboys. That should have been 20-plus, right? They Again, they couldn't score, or their attack was blunt to some degree. So I thought the Cowboys... The Tigers' dominance wasn't reflected on the scoreboard at all. And so they kept the Cowboys sort of hanging around, right? In the second half, again, like you, I thought they went into a little bit of a grinded out mode. They scored a couple of tries on the Cowboys' fringe. You know, they always looked like they were going to win the Tigers, like you, for 70 minutes. And I don't know what happened, but the, the Cowboys probably just thought, you know, what stuff this? They started zinging the ball around, of throwing the ball around, and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, it's gone from 24 to 6 to 24-16 three or four minutes later and they could have probably scored another one or two tries in that time period they just um, started just throwing the ball around the Cowboys with nothing to lose and you wonder if they had done that before if they could have beaten the Tigers you don't wouldn't have so. made any difference no because Fair the enough. Tigers the Tigers line speed was, switched off yeah they're just just that last 10 minutes that you could see early in the game they were moving up as one they were meeting them at the five meter mark but yeah in the last 10 meters they just they ran out of energy uh, there's a bit of that and I think sometimes you try to the, when you go into grind it out mode and try to hang on for the win well, maybe it was that too maybe the mentality stopped yeah your intensity does drop a little because you're, you're, you're sort of trying to hold rather than attack with your defence so you know at the end of the day um, a, fa- a kind of crazy a little bit of a crazy finish but the Tigers were dominant in that game the whole game and I don't think anybody else was, 
the Cowboys were ever going to win that. And somehow, they're a sniffing near the eight. They shouldn't be anywhere near it after the season. Well, it's had, a massive but... game against the Sharks this week because the Titans have got the Storm and there's, there's a few games around them, right? The, the, and the Raiders have Manly. Raiders have Manly. So they, it's conceivable yes. if they beat the Sharks, they're on yes. 20 points. Yes, it's actually conceivable they could sneak into eighth or something. Like, I don't think they kinda, will. I don't think they will. I don't but... think they will, but the fact that we were even talking about that, I mean, well, anyway, that so good win for the Tigers and a few wins in a row. And you know what? Good on them. We say we. I give them a bit of stick, but a, a good win. All right, let's move. Let's move on to the Channel Nine game on Saturday night, which was Manly versus Para. Here we go again. Manly versus Para. Manly got up fifty-six to ten. You're the lucky wheels have completely the, the wheel, and we were lucky to have only fifty six. The wheels have fallen off Paris' season. It's the fourth loss in a row. We've conceded one hundred and twenty four points in our last three games. We've only scored thirty two points in our last four games. No matter who we play on the right edge, we still defend poorly down that side. Okay, so we started the season with Wonga Blake and Blake Ferguson. <laughs> then we, we said, oh, no, this is not working. They're not getting along. So what we did was then we dropped Blake Ferguson. We brought Hayes Dunster in. Then we moved Wonga Blake to the left edge, moved a specialist left edge to uh, to the right edge position, and then we brought back Blake Ferguson. And then against the, one of the most potent attacking teams in the comp, we said to Blake Ferguson over the last few weeks, oh, mate, that edge is a bit dodgy. So why don't you keep bolting in and compress the line. Oh, what a good move. We only had 56 points put on us. That is absolutely down to coaching. We need a coaching change. He has taken us as far as he can. We're, we're going to finish sixth. We might win a final only because the teams in seven and eight aren't great. But If you play the Titans, I don't know if you even will win that. Well, it's 50-50, right? But we're a chance in those games because I do think our squad's quite good, better than theirs. But we're going to go out in week twos in, in the next game. So... In this game, we considered 10 tries to two, with six of the Manly tries scored by Manly's left winger or left centre. That's how bad our right edge was. We missed 41 tackles all up, and at one point we were down to 11 after Ryan Madison was correctly sent off for the, and Nia Kore was Sinbin. Put a line through us, stick a fork in us, I think we're done, and so should Brad Arthur and his team. That's all I've got to say. You guys are so bad that even a Japanese sushi restaurant will reject your eels. Not good enough at the moment so uh, um, I like Dylan Brown's attempt at trying to look like Cameron Munster by dyeing his hair blonde no he's doing it for Ronald McDonald House oh is that right yeah so you're having a go at a bloke raising money for charity why don't you (laughs) keep it to the football you scumbag um I don't know what to make of you. Don't, you don't tip your team. You, you, you've, you've basically gone to their crosstown rivals and now you're attacking people who are raising money for charity. What kind of a bloke are you? Pat, look, Para, Para just weren't up for it. This is one of those Alexander games, Brandy, where he said they kind of look like they're trying, but they're kind of not. Yeah, they're not. They're not. And you don't get honestly, 56 points on you if you try. Manly just tore them apart. Like, yeah. uh, and you know what? A lot of it too is the speed. Jason Saab has made Manly, along with Tom Trebojevic, the speed that those two have has totally changed the dynamic of their team. Like, the, any space you get them, and Manly's putting them in space and with depth, they, they torch the other team's back line. If they give them space, they're gone, right? And they're backing each other up. So Manly, once they make a break, they're becoming like Melbourne where once they make a break, they score. And they're hard to stop. And now they've got Garrick settled on the wing and he's charging at that ball 100 miles an hour. You know, and I think once Saab got put away by DCE and he torched Wonga Blake, 
Oh, yeah, and Sivo down the, that left-hand side of Paris defence. And he was gone, and Tromtrovoic backed him up in 16-0. And then Mandy spread the ball and put Garrick over with an 80-metre try, which was fantastic to watch, but pretty poor if you're a Para fan. Honestly, it was it was 26-0. And I thought then Manly kind of switched off a little bit towards the back end, 10 minutes of the half. I'm glad they did. Otherwise, we could have conceded 100. They could have scored another couple of tries, and then they fell asleep basically for 30 minutes of the game where they sort of went into game What about Nathan Brown dropped the ball? Mitch Moses looked out of sorts. They looked out of sorts, right? They didn't look like they would... I mean, this is coaching. He either mentally hasn't got him up and technically, with that edge defence, it's the same. Pro- it has the team hasn't progressed. It's the same problem we had last year. I think he's clutch. He's he's trying anything. Like Michael Oldfield came in. Michael Oldfield has been around forever, and he was like you say, a coach. He was rushing in, and Manly were just going straight around him. Wonga Blake, you're going to have him in the team. Get him in positions to attack. He barely gets the ball with any depth, so you're not even using it. So what is he there for then? Right? He's not there for his defence. So if he's there for his attack, use him properly. The players are not being used correctly anymore. I think Brad Arthur at the moment has lost his way. Clutching at straws. Yeah, he's trying all this stuff, but it's not. He, he's not using the strengths of his players that he's got. Have they lost faith in him? Because Yeah, well, I mean, there's a bit of that, right? There's a bit of that there. Paris selling points, he's always been there. Defence has been fantastic. It's falling apart, like totally. It's falling apart, yeah. So is that apart, a desire okay. thing? They've still got their players. They look like they're... They're trying hard, but you kind of wonder if they are. As yeah, at times they are. They they're just everything's going wrong at the moment. So and Manly just honestly towards the back end. I mean, I know Madison got sent off and that, but they just like you know ran in thirty points, like no problem. And it could have been should have been more than sixty if Manly was switched on the whole game. And on top of that, Ruben Garrick called it last week over twenty points, and Manly by forty plus. Yeah. Should have made a Ruben, bet. Ruben Garrick has been playing out of his skin. He is. Um, but yeah, Paris going off the rails, mate. And Manly's looking a real threat. We spoke about it last week to teams that can beat. They're one of the teams that can beat Melbourne. Well, it's Manly, if, South, if it all goes well. Melbourne, right? They're the teams that can win it. Okay. Last two games, we move on to the Sunday games. Um, first up, it was the Warriors versus the Bulldogs. The Warriors got up 24-10. The Warriors completely dominated this game, in my opinion. Um, and in the first half, they had five line breaks to one. They only missed four tackles. They had 55% possession territory and terrorised the Bulldogs' left edge, but only led 16-10 at halftime. And the two Dogs' tries came through an intercept and a set restart in the last minute of the half. The Bulldogs were kept scoreless in the second half and Reese Walsh got the only try in the second half as the game really petered out. For the Warriors, they ran out deserved 24-10 winners and it's their third win on the trot. The Bulldogs, I think they're ready for the season to end. I thought your attack was poor, I thought your defence was poor. And you weren't playing one of the better teams in the comp. You conceded 24 points to a Warriors side that didn't play that well. I don't know what to say, except it was fantastic seeing Corey Horsburgh in the Bulldogs jersey because there's a great contrast between his hair colour and the jersey. It's very striking. That was one of the highlights. Ryan James was there. I like the fact that we're loaning players from other teams. And they're your best players when they come and there. You know, and... Um, like you, I thought Curran Ryan had a, James a great... and Horsburgh can't get a game at the Raiders. He's been loaned to the Bulldogs, and he was li- they were literally two of your better players on the weekend. Uh, this is what I was saying to you earlier this season. You don't have a first-grade roster. We don't, but the coaching's diabolical. Sorry, I get no it. one's I improved. get it, but, but gee, you've, you've borrowed players that can't make the starting lineup for the team running ninth or 10th, and they were your best players on the field. That's how far behind that roster is. For the Warriors, look, I want to say is Reese Walsh 
really good game. He's been playing. You know, he's getting more consistent every game. He's great. Great great pickup, great find, and a great steal by the Warriors from the Broncos. I thought Josh Curran, he's, get, he's getting better. He had a great game. It is against the Bulldogs, but he was involved in everything, in defense and attack, and um, really starting to develop as a fringe player. But the Warriors, it was just too easy for them to go 16-6 to six up. And honestly, like if the Warriors were any good, that game, they, they should have beaten us by 30, 30, 30 plus. Like we were ordinary, had nothing in attack. Once again, high completion rate, but possession's only good if you do something with it. Yeah, I, I, it's a furphy for you guys, that, that, that high completion rate. I mean, who cares? Who cares? Warrior, yeah, it's like who cares? The Warriors are not one of the better teams, and honestly, they beat us very easily. So poor performance, and for the Warriors, good win. Another win. Warriors are top. hanging around as well. A lot of lot, yeah. Now they've, they've got a big game this weekend as well against the Broncos. Um, it's quite a tough round to pick, I think, but we'll get to it. All right, last game of the round was the Sharks versus the Knights. The Knights got up 16-14 to give me a perfect round. The Knights got off to a perfect start with Tuala crossed in the first minute. The Sharks were asleep. Uh, but the Sharks forked back into it, crossing the line twice in the first half to take a 12-8 lead at halftime. What it made me realise, though, watching the Knights attack, the coaches that come from the Craig Bellamy school all have attacks that are too structured, and they want a similar style of halfback to Cooper Cronk. Madge, Adam O'Brien, O'Brien Brad Arthur, and Anthony yes. Seabold. They all attack exactly the same yes. way, and they yes. want their halves to play like Cooper Cronk. Isn't it funny that Bellamy's shifted and they've they're stuck? Yes, that's exactly what's happened. That's exactly what happened. The the attack is very same same. The Knights. So it's an interesting point, right? So uh, it's interesting whether those coaches can grow from beyond what they've been taught. Because Craig Bellamy's shown he can reinvent himself, but I'm not sure these guys have yet. No, they haven't. The Knights started the second half the way they started the first half when Tuala got his second. He had a great game, by the way. I mean. That's that's probably what you were seeing when you were calling him for yep. origin. He's still he's still a kid. Yep, yeah. exactly. To, to even up the scores, twelve all. Braden Trindle then kicked a penalty a few minutes later to kick ahead fourteen twelve before Jake Clifford kicked two penalties in the last fifteen minutes. The second after the best one on one strip by Mitch Barnett on Metcalf that I've seen. It was so clean. It was like a pickpocket in Italy. It was like my wallet and watch are gone. That's how good it was. Uh, the Knights held on and the Sharks were unlucky. It was a good game for me. It was literally one of those bottom semi-final games where it was tight. Both it was exactly, there was game intensity to the teams. game. There just wasn't a lot of skill. Yeah, it was all about the intensity and honestly a fear to lose in a way because yeah. it was such a big game. And I thought the Knights had a great start. Like you say, Pierce, great ball to Tuala. He gives them that speedy winger that you need, like an Addo Carr or an Alex Johnston. And I thought the Sharks would fall. No, I don't know. I just thought it was such a bad start. You wondered where it's going to go, and the, the Sharks came back. So I led 12-8, which was fantastic. And it was a very tight game. And then Tuala, again, another piece of magic by somehow diving over to score and keeping his feet in and to make a 12 all. And even though Mitch Barnett gave away that penalty, like he said to Braden Trindle, it was a brilliant try-saver by Mitch Barnett. It put the Sharks ahead 14-12, but I thought if Nikora goes through, he hit that hole at 100 miles an hour. If he goes through that... Cronulla Sharks go on to win that game because it was such a tight that that eight six point gap would have been enough to see out the rest of the game in my opinion and it was just very tight I didn't see Ponga getting involved too much or coming like you say from too much depth with too much depth and speed to make the defense have to make a choice he kind of played a role a very structured role and I don't think he got involved enough so the Knights had more strike power than than the Sharks but they the game was 
they, they didn't use it. They didn't use it. Like you say, I thought it was too structured and easy for the Sharks to pick off in defence. But eventually, um, you know, a, a bit of a penalty goal shoot, shootout and the Knights hung on. I think both teams were more scared to lose than trying to win the game. And in a, the Knights had a big win. And this will probably force them into the eight and keep them there. I think it was a big win to beat the Sharks. A big game for both teams and a good tight win for Newcastle. But... You know, they, they need to have a little bit more if they're going to win anything in the semis or even challenge one of the teams. So, um, But a win's a win, and they needed the two points. Brilliant. All right, well, let's move on to our Round 22 preview. Um, I agree with you. I think the Knights have got an easier draw in, so I think they'll hold on. Um, first up on Thursday night, it's the Titans versus the Storm. The Storm are going for their 19th win in a row to equal the Roosters' record. Um, I think they might rest some players. Uh, the Storm are $1.10 favourites. The Titans are $7 outsiders. The Titans are going to be really motivated after their poor performance this week. And the Titans have 20 and a half points start. I think the Storm will rest players. Frank Panisi's already come out and gone, we've chased the minor premiership too hard in previous years at the expense of the pre- of winning on grand final day. So we're not going to make that mistake this year. I, I, I'm still betting on the Storm. I think the Storm will get up, but I think it'll, the margin will be closer than people think. And I think it'll be less than 20 and a half. I think this will be a closer game. Like you... Uh, Listening to those comments, I think they might rest a few players. I'm going to tip the Storm anyway. I think they're too good for the Titans. And the Titans, I don't know, they're not playing with the same crazy sort of attacking potency, even though that came with some defensive issues to really challenge a Storm's defence, even if there are players out. So I don't know what they're really going to, how they're going to challenge or beat the Storm in this game. The Storm will be too clinical and too professional. I mean, resting players, what, Nico Hines for Pappenhuysen or Chris Lewis coming in again or... You know, they just plug and play all these players and the Storm will be too good. And I I am expecting them to chase the 20 in a row, but I think they'll do it subtly by resting one or two players each each other week. So they give everybody a rest, but not all in one go type of thing. So Storm, obviously, but um, 19 in a row. Brilliant. All right. Um, next up on Friday night, the double header. We've got first up, th- th- there is so many hard games to pick this week. Um, Raiders versus Manly. Now, I think the Raiders will be up for this. They they need to win two out of their last three to have any chance of making the eight, in my opinion. Matt, it looks like Tommy Turbo will play for Manly this weekend. Yep. I think this the, the Manly are $1.50 favourites. Raiders are $2.60 outsiders. Raiders have five and a half points start. I'm in two minds about this, but I think Manly will get them. This is a hard game. I am going to tip Manly because I think Tommy Terminator now, if he's got you know half a metal plate in his head, um, will... With him if there, Tommy Turbo doesn't play, though, do the Raiders win? I think it's conceivable because I saw a different Raiders against the Storm. Yeah, the Storm weren't the best, but there was an aggression to them in the second half that they haven't really had all year. And they stepped up to try and beat the Storm, if that makes sense, T. So it's that desperation, like you say, they must win these games. So does is that going to bring a different level from the Raiders that we haven't really seen all year? I think there's a possibility of that. I think if Tommy Turbo plays, I'll have a little bit too much strike power for the Raiders and Manly will score points. I don't quite think the Raiders have as many points in their team to, to actually challenge that. If if T- Tommy Turbo, like to score 30 to beat Manly, they can't. But if he doesn't play, I think the Raiders will win if he doesn't play. Yeah. I, I think it brings it's them it's back a, tough, a little bit. Games. Yeah, and I think, but I'm expecting the Raiders, This I'm expecting this to be a really close game. I think the Raiders, yeah, second half really had some fire against the Storm. It's like desperation times, and they stepped up a gear rather than folding like para. 
Yeah, I agree. All right, the match of the round, and there's a it's just a good round of footy, isn't this it? Is, yeah. Oh wow. Okay, this is a good game. Panthers versus Souths. Pa- yes. Pan- Panthers are a dollar sixty-five favorite. Souths are two dollars twenty-five. Souths have three and a half points start. Um, what a game of football this is going to be, and I think Souths will get them. I'm going to tip Souths only because Souths. There's two things I'm worried about. Firstly, I'm tipping Souths because their attack has just been magic and unstoppable. They're racking up points like crazy. The concern for me is it's been too easy for them in so many games. They've rarely been challenged. They're just blowing teams off the park, right? The Panthers, they're not going to be able to do that too. They're going to have to really work hard for their points, and I wonder how that's going to impact their attack, or maybe they're going to get frustrated, right, because it's not so easy. Does does a good attack beat a good defence? This is the question, this... this this game's going to throw up. Penrith is still just trying to click into gear and find their combinations. Cleary's back. They're going to be a bit better, but they're going to need one or two weeks before it all starts to really hum like a, a fine-tuned engine. So I wonder if the Panthers are going to be a little bit out of tune in terms of the way they, they execute so that the Rabbitohs' defense will find it a bit easier to stop them and the Rabbitohs will score enough points to win the game. Or are the Panthers just going to click into gear all of a sudden randomly and just blow the Penrith away? For me, this game's all about Penrith. If Penrith's attack clicks into gear like they were earlier in the year, I don't think the Rabbitohs' defence can hold them out. Um, but if it's still a bit clunky... It's been, it's been a long time since they've played that way, the Panthers. Yeah, this is the thing. I'm, I'm, you know what? I want to tip the Rabbitohs, but... Not with any confidence. I could change no, that tip no before confidence. the starts. Yeah. This totally depends on how Penrith's attack works because the Rabbitohs' defence isn't as good as Penrith and Melbourne's. Hard, oh, God, hard game. Hard game. Let's move on to Super Saturday. First up, it's the Tigers versus the Sharks, and this has an enormous bearing on the top eight. The Sharks will be motivated because of the Andrew Fafita thing, and the Tigers are coming off the back of playing well the last few weeks. So the Tigers are $2.50 outsiders. Sharks are $1.54 favourites. The Tigers have five and a half points start. I am leaning towards the Tigers. Again, this is a very, very, very I told you, this round is really hard to This round. I should have used that wild card in the tipping last round. Well, you have to. You've only got three rounds. You have to use it every round now. You'll be you'll be able to double your tip of two. Yeah. Well, I forgot last week. I forgot to use it. I would have got. You know, I tipped seven. I was missed the fr- the Thursday, and I would have tipped eight as well. But it was an easy round. This round is, you could tip seven and you could tip two. Yeah. Correct. The Sharks. I don't know how they're still in the eight. They've just bombed so many games that they should have won. The Tigers, like you say, they're kind of. You know, now they're probably thinking they might make the eight. You know, there's a little bit more motivation to kind of really hang in for these games rather than fall away like they have done in some of the others. I'm going to tip the Sharks. This is because I just think they're better, but with zero confidence. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, honestly, this game's a, I don't know, Tigers. I think the Tigers got a bit of momentum on their side. They too. do. They do, right? And, and like we were talking about, a chance to possibly make the eight. It's a huge, huge game. Huge game. Um, I'm tipping the Sharks, but all right. no confidence at all. All right, so let's move on to the Far next out. two what games are easier out. to pick, I think. So the Bulldogs the next are one's up a buy the Knights. for the Knights. <laughs> Knights are $1.20. Bulldogs are $4.50. The Bulldogs have 14.5 points start. I think the Knights will win, and I think the Knights will win by more than 14.5 points. I think the Knights will win by more than 14.5 points. I think the Knights come out with a bit of depth and a bit of, um, I suppose, um, intent to attack and be aggressive with ball in hand, I think it's going to be 20-plus. The dogs are done. Last game on Super Saturday, and again, I think this one's a relatively easy one to pick despite the result 
this week. Um, <laughs> Eels versus the, the Cowboys. Cowboys. The Eels are a yeah. dollar thirty-five favourites. Cowboys are three dollars twenty-five. Um, Cowboys have nine and a half point start. Now here's where this. Uh, it's uh, for me. It's the Eels. I'll tip the Eels. I think they'll win it. This is Brad Arthur should use this game to kickstart the team. Really try and put a score on there. Get the attack going. Get some run into them. Build the confidence back up. Because we've got Melbourne and the Panthers in our last two games. Oh, I, Look, I agree with you. I think they need to do something different. This is the game. Like you said, experiment. You've got two games. You know what? Let's just try something different. We've got nothing to lose. I'm tipping the Eels, obviously, but they need to do something different in this game. And like you said, a great opportunity to experiment. Um, easy win, but let's see what they got. All right, let's move on to the Sunday games. First up, it's the Dragons versus the Roosters. The Dragons are $4 outsiders. The Roosters are $1.25 favourites. The Dragons have 12.5 points start. It's hard not to tip the Roosters, given their courage and the way they've been playing. Joey Manu, James Tedescu. I think the Roosters will win it, but I think it'll be less than two tries. I agree with you. I think the Roosters will win. I think the Dragons have been very spirited. I think this will be a close game. I think the Dragons will really give them a run. I agree. And it'll be, it'll I be agree. a good game to watch, but the Roosters, I think, ultimately too much to play for. But um, the Dragons, um, I'm expecting a good game, close game. They've been a lot better the last couple of weeks. They have. This is a really tough game as well, the game of the Sunday afternoon game. The Broncos versus the Warriors. Even Sportsbet can't split them. They're both $1.90. It's even money. The Broncos have a slight head start in terms of points start. They have one and a half points start. This, for me, is a pick em. I'm tipping the Broncos solely because last week I thought they were really good. The Warriors were hard to pick. They, were, they, they played well enough to beat the Dogs, but I wouldn't say they played well. And I thought the Broncos actually played really well. So I'm tipping Brisbane. I think what they're a actually going to beat the Warriors. This is going to be an amazing round of footy. This, I'm looking forward to this. This yeah, is going to be games, a great round of footy. A tipping nightmare this week. Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare this week. All right, well, that brings us to the close of the G&T show. It's nearly sunrise on the Tuesday. So... <laughs> Once again, G, we'll try to get this out before the games are finished yes, on Sunday. put your pyjamas so on, please. <laughs> so they can. I want you to spend this week to have a good, long, hard look at yourself after having a go at Dylan Brown for trying to raise money for charity. <laughs> Thank you. I will. All right. I'll have to do some self-reflection and uh, mindfulness. Okay. Thanks for joining us, and thank you, G. Thanks, T. Talk to you later. Bye. See you, bye.